It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As I've mentioned repeatedly, the botanical style aquarium is not really a style. It's more of an approach, a methodology, a mindset, a mindset which embraces what we call functional aesthetics, a way of appreciating the collateral benefits of the materials we utilize to create our aquariums, a sort of function first approach, if you will. And as a supplier of natural materials and a lover of a cool aquarium or two, we often receive you know, questions from other hobbyists asking how to achieve a certain result or what can be used to achieve it. We receive tons of questions specifically about wood. We feel a lot of questions about why we only carry certain types of wood or what the best wood is for whatever. The answer to the first part of the question is why we only carry certain types of wood is because I have specific feelings about wood in botanical style aquariums and what the, the point of using wood is in our aquariums. Like, yeah, I want stuff to look good, but to me, it's more about recreating some of the amazing features found in wild aquatic habitats like flooded forests and jungled streams and stuff like that. Wood tells a story, or part of a story anyway, a story of the interrelationship between the terrestrial and the aquatic habitats and how each is influenced by the other. Their natural structures, such as fallen tree trunks and branches and submerged root systems, which I find compelling and irresistible. And not every type of wood used in the aquarium trade seems to represent these features well, in my opinion. I mean, pretty much any wood used in the aquarium hobby can work. I just found over the years that I'm drawn to a certain look that can best be achieved with certain varieties of wood. I never intended to make tannin a Aquatics a generalized one-stop shop for wood, rock, and aquascaping stuff. I'm, you know, offering every variety under the sun. There's a lot of places that do that very well. We're a bit more specialized, as you know. And there's another reason. I'll come right out and admit it. I'm not much of an aquascaper. Like, you could take the same rocks and wood as me and come up with something epic and beautiful. I just don't have that designer's touch or whatever. And so I don't have that same sense of trying to design this beautiful high-concept thing. Uh, my selection of wood is geared towards things that I feel work in the type of aquariums we do. Um, and really, I couldn't care less that I don't have that aesthetic. I enjoy doing what I do. A lot of you do. And I enjoy sharing the ideas with more talented hobbyists like yourself. I like to replicate stuff I, that I see in the natural aquatic habitats in both form and function. And often it's a function first and the aesthetic is a collateral benefit of sorts. Okay, Scott, cool, but what about your wood choices? Okay, let's discuss that just briefly. When it comes to wood, I've developed a sort of taste for certain types of wood. Typically, they're the more tangled, root-like varieties that's reflected in selections of the materials that we offer and what I tend to use in my personal tanks. One of the most consistently popular wood types that we use a lot and that's used in the hobby a lot is what is known as spider wood, which I understand to be the roots of rhododendron, uh, aka azalea, a genus of over a thousand woody plants found in Asia and North America. And of course, like everything else in the aquarium hardscape trade, the exact species or origins are seemingly kept shrouded in a sort of deliberate mystery by vendors for reasons I don't know why. And, and I still haven't figured that out because it's not like every hobbyist is suddenly going to go, ah, philodendron, I'm going to go down, you know, to uh, uh, not buy this stuff and I'm going to go dig up every rhododendron in the neighborhood and 
start looking for the perfect route. <laughs> that being said, you know, it's no mystery why this stuff is popular. It looks pretty cool and it has a definite root-like configuration, which lends itself really well to all sorts of aquascaping applications. You can't really go wrong with this stuff, either using it alone or combining it with other wood types. It's one of my favorites. And as an added bonus, this stuff does release a lot of nice water tinting tannins, believe it or not. Something that freaks the fuck out of most hardcore aquascapers, much to my sadistic delight, as you know, but something that our tribe just sort of loves. Oh, and the plant, and I think by likely by extension the roots, is known to offer, quote, possible anti-inflammatory and hepatoprotective activities and in humans, of course, which might be due to the antioxidant effect of the flavonoids or other phenol compounds and saponins that the plant contains. And if you recall, some of these substances are known to occur in stuff like catapa leaves, and they're documented to have fish health benefits, and you know, uh, which has been validated by scientific research. So maybe, I don't know, I'm reaching, but interesting though, right? Um, oh, and it does tend to recruit a fair amount of that gooey fungal and biofilm growth shortly after you submerge it, something that I like, often to the horror, again, of the unaware. So if there were ever a candidate for pre-soaking wood before using it in the aquarium, spiderwood's probably it. Granted, this will probably usually subside after a few weeks of submersion anyway, without doing just about anything, and some well-timed scrubbing if you need to. But that's that, and it looks cool. You could do a lot of stuff with it. And it works really well with other more fine-textured roots, like melastoma root and... Um, some of the other stuff that we that we carry. One of my favorite tanks I ever created, the one that came to be called the Tucano Tangle, which was a tank that represented the habitat of the Tucano Ichthys Tucano, the Tucano Tetra, uh, was sort of a fusion of melastoma root and spiderwood. And it worked really well, and it was super easy. And it was so easy that I'm almost embarrassed about all the accolades I've received for this tank over the years. It was literally a matter of stacking a few pieces of spiderwood to form a sort of platform for about six to 10 pieces of melastoma root, and that was it. No great aquascaping skill or, you know, feat of aesthetics. No gluing intricate pieces of wood together. No, it was literally about placing the pieces on top of each other and pushing until everything locked in place. That's how effortless aquascaping can be, really. Or should I say that's how effortlessly, how effortless <laughs> uh, attempting to recreate a component of the natural habitat of some fishes can be, aesthetics-wise. Especially when you have the right materials. From there, it was really more about the environment. Now, that's what I was trying to recreate anyway. The water chemistry, the flow, the substrate, temperature, biology, the stuff that I personally find far more interesting than just trying to achieve the perfect look every single time. I think we over-obsess about wood too much. I think one of the frustrations, much of the frustration that uh, hobbyists encounter in the aquascaping process is caused by, I don't know, trying to create some perfect scene they have in their minds or to recreate something they saw in somebody else's tank looking for that perfect piece of wood to match the vision or the execution that you're trying to replicate. It, it can be pretty hard to do that, and I understand. But it's never quite as fun to me as looking at something you see in nature and working on that. I don't know why. So as an alternative, may I suggest attempting to replicate, in both form and function, a feature in a natural underwater habitat where your target fishes come from. Consider what factors led to the formation of this feature. Think about how it came to be, like how the you know branch fell or the tree trunk got submerged or whatever. Think about what benefits fishes receive by inhabiting it. We can utilize all this information to create really unique underwater features and to facilitate more natural behaviors from our fishes in our aquariums. So yeah, think about how fishes act in nature. They tend to be attracted to areas where food supplies are relatively abundant, requiring little expenditure of energy in order to satisfy their nutritional needs. 
insects, crustaceans, and yeah, tiny fishes tend to congregate and live around floating plants, masses of algae, and fallen botanical items, you know, seed pods and leaves. So it's only natural that our subject fishes would be attracted to these areas. I mean, who wouldn't want to have easy access to the buffet line, right? Another interesting phenomenon that pretty much any fisherman will tell you is that fishes tend to gather under trees. Not only do trees provide a respite from the bright light, they provide an opportunity to grab a meal of insects, fruit, and other materials which might just happen to fall from the trees throughout the day. You know, alexonus input, we've talked about that before. For some reason, I've always found it a bit easier and far more enjoyable to look at one of these natural structures and examine, again, how it formed, why it formed, and what makes it attractive to fishes. It's If it's a log, a tree trunk, a root tangle, you simply find pieces of wood that look like logs, tree trunks, or root tangles, right? It's a p- pretty straightforward stuff. If you're not trying to construct underwater arches or bonsai forests, the world of functional aquascaping opens its arms to you, and it challenges you to create an aquarium which represents underwater features in a more realistic way. What exactly is the purpose of an aquascape in the aquarium anyway, besides aesthetics? Well, if you ask me, it's to provide fishes with a comfortable environment that makes them feel at home, right? Exactly. So when was the last time you really looked at where your fishes live, or should I say how they live in the habitats from which they originally come? Uh, come from the information that you can garner from these kinds of observations is like amazing one of the key takeaways that you can make is that many freshwater fishes like structure in their habitats unless you're talking about large you know ocean-going fishes or fishes that live in enormous schools like herring or smelt fishes pretend to like a certain type of structure be it rocks wood roots leaf litter whatever structure provides a lot of things namely protection then of course shade food and spawning and nesting areas So where does this leave us in terms of creating and or editing our aquascapes for our fishes in our aquariums? Well, for one thing, we look to nature to see just what it is material-wise that falls into the water in many wild habitats. It's leaves, it's seed pods, it's branches, all sorts of stuff. And what about how those materials are oriented or even distributed in the water after they fall? For example, when a tree falls into the water, gravity, current, wind, etc. all influence how it lays on the bottom of the stream. Oftentimes, in shallow streams, the branch extends partially out of the water, just like, you know, kind of what we do in scaping, right? Yeah, but somehow it seems less contrived because it's because it fell. And also, again, looking at things from the terrestrial perspective, a lot of these habitats are terrestrial at some point in the year and then taken over by water. That gives you a new appreciation for how things fall and orient themselves. As a chorus, we put an amazing time uh, amount of time trying to achieve this perfect placement for wood when the reality is that in nature it's decidedly random it's dictated by other things you know the age of the tree weather patterns um you know the the uh, current winds all kinds of stuff and isn't there some beauty and randomness despite our you know relentless pursuit of golden ratio and all that stuff just because last year's big scaping contest winner had the perfect orientation and ratio and alignment of manzanita or whatever within the you know the tank doesn't mean that it's a real representation of the natural functionality of randomness. And that's a really important point. The bottom line, maybe we don't need to stress out so much in our placement of wood in the aquarium, striving for some artistic interpretation. Maybe we'd achieve something altogether different and cool if we just sort of randomly drop the wood in the tank and go from there. Maybe? Could you handle that? And ask yourself honestly, is there not a true beauty in the randomness of nature? Isn't this what a chorus like a mono we're trying to stress, you know, rather than preaching this rigid adherence to some formula of placement? Can't you see the beauty in replicating a scene exactly like you see it? Or exactly like it would, would occur in an underwater, natural underwater setting? I think there is a lot that's there. 
it's remarkable how simply considering your aquarium in the context of functional aesthetics can give you new ideas, inspiration, and even purpose. And that includes understanding and accepting the other stuff that we encounter, byproducts of natural processes like decomposition, fungal growth, etc. All of the stuff we see happening in our tanks right now, it was there before in nature for eons. It's just that now, instead of freaking out about stuff like you know brown water and biofilms and detritus and worrying about the damage they might inflict on our aquariums, we're studying them. We're understanding their benefits. We've made a tangible mental shift. Appreciating their role in the functional closed ecosystem, embracing their form and function, rather than siphoning out some of the stuff in horror, constantly rearranging things, we're admiring it and appreciating why it's there and the functional role it plays in our little aquatic worlds. Rather than strictly approaching stuff like wood selection and placement from the aesthetic perspective exclusively, we're thinking about function. We realize that wood only tells part of the story in an aquarium as it does in nature. It's also about the dozens of other byproducts of natural processes which help set the scene. Huge. This is huge stuff. The initial skepticism and resistance to the idea of an aquarium filled with you know, biofilms and decomposition and tinted water has given way to all sorts of creativity and discovery. Our community is, rather easily I might add, accepted the idea that nature will follow a certain path, parts of which are aesthetically different from anything we've allowed to occur in tanks before, and rather than attempting to mitigate or thwart it, we're celebrating it. This is a big thing. It's a fun and really exciting journey that will not only yield greater understanding of our fishes, but an understanding of the precious and fascinating environments from where they come from. And a greater appreciation for the functions and vulnerabilities of these wild ecosystems means that we'll be in a better position than ever as aquarists to call attention to the perils that they face. And when we inspired non-aquarists to understand and learn more about this stuff, guess what? The planet wins, right? Take the time to go beyond that sexy look. Take the time to stop obsessing over just finding the perfect materials to get a certain look. Because you'll find that function is every bit as fascinating and inspiring, if not more so, as those looks. Stay studious, stay fascinated, stay curious, stay resourceful, stay generous, stay diligent, stay obsessive, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from 10 and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The 10.